Fast, safe, and reliable, Interact eTransfer is one of the best ways to send, request, and receive money. In fact, Canadians use this service to complete 371 million transactions in 2018 alone. That's nearly 11 times the population of Canada. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca. Welcome to Quality Content on the 2020 Network presented by Interact. I'm your host, Alex Patterson. If you've ever shared an Onion article with your colleagues or friends, then today's episode is for you. The insanely popular website helped educate an entire generation of internet users about how satirical content can move across the web and even shape attitudes towards issues as important as federal politics, right down to the minutia of workplace interactions. But as a Canadian reader, I always wished there was a Canadian version. After all, we're the funny ones, right? Enter the Beaverton. Founded in 2010, the Beaverton has grown into a media force in its own right, with its own published books, podcasts, a TV series on CTV, and of course, a truly hilarious and insightful web hub. What's truly impressive about the Beaverton has been its consistent quality over the years, as well, I think, as their ability to speak with a Canadian voice, not just about Canadian issues. So today on the show, I talked with Luke Gordon-Field, one of the co-founders of the Beaverton. We chatted about its humble beginnings, how it's felt to watch the Beaverton scale and size and influence, and what it's like working in satire in the age of misinformation. I think you'll enjoy it. And with me on the line from Toronto is Luke Gordon-Field. Luke, hi. Hey, how are you? Uh, I'm good, man. I'm really good. I'm I'm really happy to be talking to you. Um, I know this actually took a little bit for us to schedule, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us because, as I was saying off mic, um, you know the the show is about sort of that intersection between media and culture and content, and the Beaverton is just really at the center of a lot of those things. So um, I'm really excited to be talking to you today. Oh, thanks so much, and thank you for saying that. We we try and stick our noses in as many places as we can, and make it impossible to ignore us. So I'm glad we're succeeding. You've done a very good job of, of making yourself a mainstay, I think, of people's uh, news feeds. Um, but it, there's, there's where you are right now, but let's, let's take me back mm-hmm. to the very beginning. Where were you at in your life when you decided to start the Beaverton? Well, I was in an odd place. I was uh, graduating law school, um, and uh, I had um, I'd been running the student newspaper at law school, uh, which wasn't even though it's at law school, it had really nothing to do with law. It was just an excuse to write things that had nothing to do with law, silly little entertainment pieces, jokey columns, you know, really whatever I wanted to. And uh, so as I graduated, I'd already started doing some stand up, and I was kind of looking for another creative outlet. And then a gentleman named Laurent Noonan had actually come up with the idea and the name for the Beaverton. So him and I kind of uh, started chatting and we just kind of had friends in common who introduced us and I think I emailed him and he'd done satirical news before at, at, uh, his, at U of T. We started collaborating and using news the way The Onion did uh, to tell jokes. Just kind of went from there. And I mean, you, you brought up The Onion. The Onion is obviously um, kind of embedded, I think, in the DNA here um, with, the, with the Beaverton. I know that for years, reading the Onion and satirical news like it, I would often wish that there was a Canadian version like it. And so mm-hmm. many tried, but just didn't do a good enough job. But you guys have managed like incredible 
quality and insight and consistency. Um, and, and so, so take stock now, like from, you know, sort of that low key website to where you are now, where you're producing TV shows and stuff, like give me a sense of scale. Like what does the Beaverton operation look like now? <laughs> well, I, I think we kind of have a, uh, a presentation of, of, um, professional success and, and, uh, and, and professional attitude that we, we, we kind of tried to put on from the very, very beginning. We always kind of jokingly referred to ourselves as, you know, like this massive media organization, this huge, important website, even when we had like, you know, zero followers and, and it was just a few of us meeting in a bar that gave us half price on chicken wings to write. So we, we kind of have always fronted as if we're this, you know, massive media entity. So it's kind of funny now that we're sort of bigger than we are than we were then that we're sort of maybe living up to the the hype we always gave ourselves um you know we're still uh you know it, it compared to a, a a huge media entity with backers and 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 funders and everything you know we're we're still very much a a group of friends who write to make each other and by extension everyone else laugh but you know we're 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 certainly scaling up in terms of i mean the tv show was such a life-changing thing i mean it meant people quitting their day jobs, doing this full time. And it, it really did change everything for us. Um, so that was kind of the biggest landmark moment in the history of the, the Beaverton. So where we are right now is of course the website, you know, we kind of really put a premium on, obviously you want a bigger audience. Uh, we really want to make sure that we're producing more pieces a day. So that's always been our struggle is if we put out one good piece of content today, like we used to, Okay, uh, but now we're trying to get up to four or five, even six articles a day while maintaining a very high quality control system. So that means a lot more writers, a lot more editors involved. Uh, so we have a much wider net of you know freelance writers and editors. And obviously on the TV side right now is we've done two seasons. We kind of had this massive change after our second season where it was announced we'd be moving from Comedy Network, which is very specialty and, you know, has, is a, was a wonderful network for us, but is certainly a, you know, a specialty channel and a somewhat limited audience to CTV, which is like the, you know, the biggest network in Canada. So we're super excited to be doing that and we're likely going to be on in the summer, but we're still sorting that out with the network. It, so to go from website to obviously, like you said, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, like real TV show with a, with a massive mm-hmm. platform, um, the the thing that has impressed me, and I think you touched on this, is the consistency of uh, of quality of product. Um, and interestingly, uh, one of the interviews I, I did earlier on in the the day today uh, was with Rick Mercer. Um, that our listeners will hear that actually uh, in a couple of different weeks around the Governor General Awards. But one of the things that he talked about was in terms of like advice for younger generations who are getting into comedy and and commentary is you just have to do it and you have to sort of, it's a bit of a grind and no one's ever really going to see exactly how hard it is um, to, to do the work that you're doing. So I'm wondering if you can give me a, a bit of insight into exactly how much work goes into the article that we read or the social posting that we read, because there's, there's tons of things that underpin that there's like a smart digital strategy. Mm. There's hiring good writers. There's, um, like you said, good copy editing. And, and there's also just a general sort of kind of like special sauce mm. to it all of, of being able to time something right. So give me a sense of like what that process is like. As everyone who works creative and non-creative knows, you know, the hardest thing is, is having that really good idea, something that is uh, undeniable about it. That is, you know, obviously a very individual thing. So an individual writer will 
come to, we have, you know, regular website, we have, we have meetings where people, the focus is just idea generation and people pitching ideas. So already before we even get to that, people have spent hours and hours thinking of individual ideas and whether they're thoughts on current events or whether they're, you know, evergreen, you know, commentary on life itself or, you know, uh, Canadiana stuff, whatever it is. And then essentially we have a, you know, uh, kind of kill rate of, I don't know, 95, 98%. So only three to 5% of the ideas were pitched go beyond that. Wow. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, I, you know, I think in a given week, in a given meeting, I should say, you know, I myself, cause I write a lot, will come with probably 15 ish ideas. And if I get one to two of them passed, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that because that's one to two articles I can go off and write. <clears throat> Excuse me. So yeah, so we, we, we kind of kill our darlings very early. And, and if an idea doesn't have that immediate, like, Oh, that's super funny or, Oh, that's a hugely strong POV or, or both ideally, then we just say, you know what, it's, 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 it might be a fun idea. It might be kind of a cute idea. It, you know, it's not strong enough right at the outset. Yeah. So, so I guess an interesting question on that is that like, and a bit of a two-parter, are there like very reliable areas of comedy that you find yourself returning to again and again and again? Uh, and then separately, are there areas where you're like, we've done that too much. Like I, we, we can't do it. We need a fresh take or, or we just kind of have to leave it where it is. I mean, the answer is, is yes to both. Like there are certainly things that Canadians especially will always enjoy. Um, or, or at very least I should say have a very high success rate. Can you give me an example? Um, Canadians will always enjoy an article making fun of uh, how brutal our big three telecom situation is here and uh, and the, the amount we have to pay for for cell phone price now, it is course, a national pastime that yeah. like it's like hockey complaining and complaining about, about your cell phone exactly. yeah so we have an interesting place in that because while they have absolutely never asked us to to go light on them at all of course everyone who really follows us knows that we obviously have a business relationship with Bell. So we're, we really enjoy doing that because one, it's fun and we are still paying those ridiculous cell phone bills. It's not like we get off free on that, but obviously we have this relationship with Bell. So it's a little bit like, you know, back in the day, David Letterman constantly making fun of uh, the bosses at NBC back on the late night show. So it's a little bit like we get to have our cake and eat it too. Cause you know, we work with Bell, but we also get to make fun of them, which is a lot of fun for us and they're good sports. Um, so yeah, so that's always a classic. Uh, I mean, you mentioned it. Hockey is, is still a classic. I mean, it can't just be, you know, I, I bring these up. These are just obviously subjects like, you know, you need to have something to say about them. It can't just be a cliche joke or something someone on the street has said themselves a million times it's got to be something that's somewhat insightful and that actually ties in with the we've kind of been like let's lay off and honestly the answer to that is really only one uh which is chris hadfield uh okay interesting every, all right every time i mean it, this is not me saying chris hadfield's a lovely person but every time we write an article about chris hadfield people think it's real um our first ever massive success was the reason i mentioned it with cell phone prices is when he came back from space and uh you know he'd been making videos and and had been very present even though obviously he was out in space and we just had a what to us seemed like a silly idea of well what if he was on his rogers data plan that whole time and he came back and he had like a four million dollar rogers bill so we wrote up that article and, and and it just went crazy viral it went viral in china and germany and stuff and we were like what is happening um, cause everyone just thought it was real. You know, people thought that this astronaut had been tripped for his cell phone while he was in space. Uh, and so <laughs> that was crazy. And then we wrote years later, we wrote an entirely different Chris Hadfield article and the exact same thing happened. 
And we were like, this is so weird. We've done two articles on this guy and both of them have just like gone <laughs> crazy viral around the globe. That's so weird. And then we ended up kind of getting in his uh, kind of PR representative who's also his son, who's a lovely person. And uh, he just kind of mentioned like, hey, like literally every time my dad does like a book signing or something, someone will come up to him and say, I'm sorry about your cell phone bill. Oh my God. And it's funny, but it's also <laughs> oh like, could you not for a while? And we were like, yeah, fair enough. And so for after the second one, we were just kind of like, okay, maybe no more Chris Hadfield because that seems to have a weird energy. Of- it needs it needs a it needs a name. It's like the the Hadfield principle. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, the ha- yeah, exactly. That's that's fascinating. But what's interesting is that like when I when I go to the Beaverton uh, on Facebook or the website, which I which I often do, mm-hmm. um, what I'm always struck by is it's not just. Canadian specific stories. Mm-hmm. And I often feel that like Canadian creators feel like this obligation that they have to speak about Canada and only Canadian things. Um, but kind of forgetting that it's really bringing a Canadian sensibility to just broader everyday minutia or mm-hmm. global events. And I think you guys have done a really good job of, of capturing that. And there are also universal things that impact people living in Toronto just as much as they impact people living in New York, California, UK, Australia, wherever. And yeah, so, I mean, that doesn't deter us. It just means that we have to have something more unique to say about it because it means we're weighing in on things that other people, other satirists outside of Canada may also be weighing in on. So it just create, kind of raises the bar of like, okay, you, get, you have to find something original and unique to say on something that people the world over are making jokes about. How do you find something unique to say? That's a challenge, which is cool because it forces you to raise your game. And, you know, the, the world we live in with social media now, you know, like there's like five million comedians on Twitter who are making jokes about the same stuff we're making jokes about potentially. And we have to have something unique and original to say. It's crazy pressure to find something unique to say. But when you do it, it feels that much better because you've managed to do it. So I'm thinking it's a fair assumption to say that that you get asked about fake news a lot. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes, it is. I mean, sometimes it's, but it's a fair question too, because the world we live in in 2019. But what's interesting, I, I, I had my friend Katie Gibbs on the show a couple of weeks ago, and she she's the executive director of an organization called Evidence for Democracy, mm-hmm. and she she literally studies. Um, like the textbook definition of what fake news is, which is like an article that is about fake stuff with fake sources pretending to kind of be real. Um, and that's a very different thing than I think what fake news is actually means in the culture now, which is just like, oh, you're lying or you're biased news or you're, and those yeah. are very different things. But you guys actually trade in like the exact sort of, in, within the boundaries of like you produce fake articles, they're hilarious. They're 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 satire, but they are fake articles. Um, and you've even mentioned a couple of times where maybe some careless copy editor has has been a little overzealous and and cited you to to hilarious effect. So I'm wondering yeah. about how you know you or the team or the people that sort of work on 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 the Beaverton. How, how do you square that? circle where you, you literally, your business is fake news, but like for hilarious and insightful effect, it's not intended to harm. I think the key, um, you know, phrase is the term you use with satire. I mean, if the difference between fake news and satire to me is, is fake news is fake news to fool people. Like you said, whether it's because you're just, uh, you know, a jester who just delights in people being wrong, or you have a political agenda and you're trying to fool people like, you know, with the Illuminati or what, you know, whatever it is. Um, versus satire, which is using a lie to tell a truth. 
it's not using a lie to propagate a lie. It's using a lie to have something to say about the world. Um, and even if that's a small point, you know, that sounds very grandiose, but it can be something small about like, you know, uh, you know, we we have articles that go, and they're they're lies, obviously, but they're they're talking about uh, you know a, a truth in in an indirect way. And even if that's something small, like the way we live, kind of weird obsession with our pets or whatever it is, uh, you know, we're still using a lie to tell the truth. And if and we can still do that to make broader points about you know the state of politics, you know, political scandals like the SNC Lavalin affair, et cetera, et cetera. Fundamental difference is using a lie to tell a lie versus using a lie to tell the truth. And I think the satire angle that we do is obviously making a, a, a point that isn't just, ha ha, we fooled you. Yeah, it's kind of done in good faith. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the extra joke that sometimes happens when those do happen, when there are mistakes, which doesn't really happen to us anymore because fortunately we've had some success and people know our name, so it's very rare for anything to go viral because people believe it to be real, like it was in our first couple of years. Um, you know, there's that kind of extra joke of when people are fooled, uh, you know, that, that, that someone comes along and, and has been like, wait, you don't realize this is, this is satire, this is fake. So is there anything that you feel that the Beaverton has done over the past, like, you know, few years that you actually think is like helped shape or change or, um, illuminate a conversation that we're happening, you know, in our public discourse, is there anything you've done that you feel has helped sort of like redirect or, or, you know, shift the conversation a little bit? Oh man, I, (laughs) that's lofty. I don't know. I mean, you always want to believe that, you know, as a, as a, satirist you want to believe that you know you're speaking truth to power and, and that your voice will be heard and, and and recognized i will say that i think um on the tv show in, the, in our first season we did a piece about the uh ban on sexually active gay men donating blood uh which is an issue that i find uh, insane that there's still a ban on and you know not to get into the debate of that but we took a very strong point of view on the logic that Canadian Blood Services was using in rejecting uh, gay men's blood was absurd. And we did a big, you know, field piece on it. And it was one that was, was interesting because, you know, we, a lot of people hadn't heard about that issue. So we got a lot of feedback of people being like, I had no idea. And for the community who was being affected, it was kind of shared widely and, and was, you know, I think um, an effective representation of, of how they felt about the issue too. Um, and then we did, so I don't know if it had a huge effect, but we did hear from Canadian Blood Services about it. Not, not that they were thrilled, they weren't, but they, you know, certainly heard about it. And, uh, you know, so maybe in a very small way, it's gone toward them reducing the amount of uh, time that they still have on the ban. And, you know, maybe in our own small way, we contributed on that. But at the very least, we, we made people aware of, some people aware of an issue that they weren't aware of before, which is a victory in its own way. For sure it is. For sure it is. I want to finish by by asking about sort of some of your contemporaries and sort of the state of Canadian comedy. Um, if there's one stereotype of, about Canadians that I think we, we hold dear, it's that we're really funny people, we're insightful and witty and, and all those things. And I think that the Beaverton does a really good job of capturing that. Who else are you looking to? Who else are you excited about on the, um, the sort of the Canadian comedy and content scene right now? Oh, wow. There's a lot. I mean, there's so many different worlds. Um, sticking just with our worlds, um, with satirical news, I will say that Canada and, and around the world should be following The Eagleist, uh, The Walking Eagle. It's The Eagleist on Twitter, but The Walking Eagle is the website name, uh, which is really just the, the um, product of just one person, I think, which is Tim Fontaine, who's a genius and uh, was actually on the Beaverton's New Year's Eve special this year. Um, and it's satirical news with uh, a focus and bent on indigenous issues and is just brilliant. Um, also, uh, Cavendish, which just finished its first season on CBC, 
is phenomenal. I mean, Mark Little and Andy Bush, if you don't know them, they were kind of two of the, the leads of Picnic Face, the sketch troupe that kind of was one of the first big, huge YouTube. I, I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm, I'm, out of, I'm out of my interviewer mode here, but like, I definitely remember no. Picnic Face. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you were on YouTube in the early to mid to late aughts, I mean, they had so many amazing sketches just kind of go viral. Huge kind of YouTube phenomenon along with like Derek Comedy and the Human Giant and those guys. So, yeah, anyway, so they were, you know, obviously those guys are brilliant and they've been doing so many things both together and apart. Like, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's a little bit Twilight Zone. It's a little bit Stranger Things, but it's so funny at the same time. And uh, and Mark and Andy are just ridiculously hilarious. And, and it's, it's unlike anything else on TV right now, that's for sure. And that's a huge statement concerning how much content is being made on MDV right now with all the streaming services. To, to, to end off here, I, I want to ask about what's coming next because you guys have always been really innovative and adaptable and, um, and like I said, from the very beginning, very consistent. So mm-hmm. what are you working on? What are you excited about? What's, what's coming next? Well, the big thing we're excited on is season three of our show. You know, we were kind of, uh, diving in uh, on making it and uh, and then you know we got a kind of sudden hiatus for a great reason of having uh, twins so we're super excited to get back to work on that and uh, you know with all the uh, news going on right now I'm sure there will be no shortage of things to cover when we do go on air so that'll be the huge thing and, and we're super excited to to be on CTV and uh, and the other thing is just kind of you know we want to make the website a place that people you know can go to multiple times a day and always find something new something hilarious that's a big part of it too I guess where should people be a following you where can they get in touch with the Beaverton uh, if they are not uh, already subscribed as I'm sure many people are uh, where can they find you guys yeah I mean you can follow the Beaverton on any social media platform uh, of your choice um you know, I think we still have a, a Google Plus account if that still exists. Um, but <laughs> otherwise, just go, otherwise, just go to the website, whatever you want. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Luke May Be Funny if you want. And it'll, it's mostly just pictures of my kid at this point, I'm not going to lie. But occasionally I tweet jokes. You guys are big Friendster, uh, big Friendster fans, I think. Oh, at, uh, huge on Friendster, uh, yes. yes. We have massive. so many... Yeah, all, all, every single person left on Friendster follows us. So that's yes. five people right there. <laughs> um, Luke, thank you very much for taking the time to chat with me today. I, I really, really appreciate you kind of delving into your process. I, I, I know that uh, you're a pretty busy guy. So um, thank you very much. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll connect again. I'd like to see if we can maybe have you back sometime. Absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks, man. Quality content is hosted by me, Alex Patterson. My producer today was Sarah Turnbull. The 2020 Network is presented by Interact and is a production of Canada 2020, Canada's leading independent progressive think tank. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps more curious and engaged listeners like yourselves find us. As well, if you'd like to give us some feedback on how we're doing, what you like, what you don't like, new episode or guest ideas, we are listening. You can follow me at Alex G. Patterson on Twitter, or you send us an email at info at Canada2020.ca. Next, a few organizational announcements. First and foremost, Canada 2020 has launched a new initiative called No Second Chances, where we take a look at the rise and fall of Canada's 12 female first ministers. That's right, there have only ever been 12 in Canadian history. The Project Centerpiece is a new limited podcast series, and the first episode is out today. So go subscribe to No Second Chances and send us your feedback. It's a truly special project for us and an important conversation for 2019. 
Next, if you are in Ottawa on April 30th, Canada 2020 will be hosting the North American Book Launch event for The Art of Diplomacy, strengthening the Canada-U.S. relationship in times of uncertainty. It's the new political memoir from Bruce and Vicki Heyman. Bruce, as you know, served as U.S. Ambassador to Canada during the Obama administration and has been a guest on quality content before. We're excited to have them back, so grab your tickets at Canada2020.ca. Finally, my weekly reminder for you to subscribe to the Canada 2020 mailing list. We have a few special events and projects coming up where I guarantee you will want to be first in the know. So go to Canada2020.ca and make sure you're signed up. All right, that's it for me. Until next time. Interact helps Canadians access funds their way. Products like Interact Debit and Interact eTransfer have made Money Mobile taking it from the confines of traditional banking and ushering it into the digital age. As consumers adapt to new technology, so does Interact. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca.